Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you today from our Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Joe Puzz, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we'll be talking project management with our special guests. Also want to say thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. The PMO Squad is home of the Purpose Driven PMO. If you're looking to build a new PMO or your current PMO is struggling, visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about their purpose-driven PMO and the proprietary PMO approach. Well, this is season two and it's 2019, everybody. I'm so excited to be around for year number two. Bit under the weather today, so if my voice is a little scratchy, I'll apologize in advance. Uh, But we're looking forward to 2019, a year full of new guests and new topics, new sponsors, and most importantly, helping to lead a hand in giving project management the visibility and platform that it deserves to share everybody out there our best practices and how we're helping change the world through delivery of projects. Reminder to everyone who's listening that we are live. And if you have a question for us, you can submit those to us on Twitter you can use hashtag PMO Joe, and we'll get to your questions live on air. So we are super excited today to have with us guest Andy Coffin from the People and Projects podcast and Derek Brownell from Slalom Consulting. Welcome, Andy and Derek. Well, thanks, Joe. I'm a big, uh, big fan of your show. It's a real pleasure to be on here. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, pleasure here, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Great, Derek. Thanks. Andy, why don't we start with you? And if you want to take a few moments here to share with our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm uh, based in Chicago and background started as a software developer and got into management, made all kinds of mistakes and eventually went from being in an IT sort of role to in 2001, starting a business that does project management and leadership, keynote presentations, workshops, and I uh, host the People and Projects podcast. That's awesome. I'm a big fan of that podcast. It's one of my inspirations for this show. So it's great to have you on air. I appreciate it. And welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Derek, how about you? Yeah, thank you, uh, Joe. Uh, Derek Brownell. I'm uh, based here in Phoenix, uh, working for Slalom Consulting. I uh, got my start really back um, in the Bay Area uh, out of college. Um, really got the the urge to do uh, project work on startup companies. Uh, was really uh, got got both the technical and the project bug at that time. Um, and took that into a couple large organizations where um, I led uh, some enterprise initiatives and joined Slalom about a year and a half ago, really looking at digital transformation for, for clients. That's awesome. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. So, Andy, you had mentioned there on your introduction a little bit starting out as a developer and then moving into Keynote. Yeah. I would say that's kind of not the, the typical story <laughs> we hear out there. Can, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, you know, it isn't necessarily the the track. And it started with, we were using some pretty interesting technology from Microsoft. And we, our contact there said, would you be willing to give a five minute summary of what you've done 
at the TechEd conference? And I said, yes, which is a really foolish thing to say because Derek and Joe, I don't know how you feel, but at that time, if I was to speak in front of 10 people, I was pretty freaked out that it was going to be in front of 7,500 people. So it was like a, a week of not eating or sleeping, but it went okay. Like I lived. And so they said, would you do another version of it? And it just started, I started speaking at conferences and ran into some people who said, do you do this full time? And I'm like, you, can you really do this full time? <laughs> and so I uh, uh, hung out with people that were doing it full time and literally two weeks before 9-11 started a company. How's that for foresight? Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, haven't looked back. It's been a real pleasure since 2001 working with some really interesting organizations uh, with lots of challenges, but helping them learn how to lead and deliver. But it all started by doing something I hated. And there's probably a lesson for the three of us, as well as those listening, of what are those things that we say, that we say no to that we ought to say yes to? Because it, mm-hmm. it's like maybe the first time you started this show, Joe, you know, it's like, I can't do that, you know, or, or whatever. But then that leads to something that's wonderful. Yeah, it, it took several arm twisting sessions to convince me to finally say yes. Yeah. Even, even though I had been a guest on the show, uh, a show multiple times. Right it's a different comfort zone, right? To be the host and to try to carry the show. But after you've done it, boy, it becomes fun. And and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure Derek's probably got some situations where it's like, he he didn't want to say yes, but he said yes. And it turned out to be good. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, in, in coaching and, and taking that, you know, some of the coaching models into clients who aren't used to being coached, you know, and and there's one circumstance where, um, you know, I had to, you know, set up a leadership summit with a very dysfunctional team mm-hmm. and uh, had to come out of my comfort zone for that. It was it was definitely not something that I wanted to say yes to, but something you need to do to to help the client go, get to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. And, and Derek, you mentioned coaching. You you take that beyond the standard business coaching that we talk about here often. I believe you've got a very strong involvement with U.S. soccer. Is that correct? Yeah. So, um over the last 10 years, I've been coaching in our state Olympic development program. And really, over the last five years, they've changed the curriculum. And it's it's actually been tough for coaches even to adjust to this new curriculum. It's really based on individuals. And, and I see that in companies as well. You know, how do we get to really help change and, and foster the skills of the individual and not look kind of across the whole group, the whole team and say, we're going to do one thing for you. So um, that has been uh, definitely something that's taken me a little bit out outside of my comfort zone, learning this new uh, kind of coaching technology and skills. And how have you translated that into, from say the soccer field, into clients and working with them to improve their employees and their project managers? Uh, that's a that's a great question, Joe. Um, you know, one of the things that we saw with with soccer was kind of a contra- a command and control mentality. And we saw we see that still in a lot of the companies that we provide services to. I think a lot of project managers come into situations where it's more of a command and control situation. And so with with the coaching education, it really takes a step back and looks at guided discovery with the players, with the, you know, looking at how they see the situations that they're in. And so taking that and then looking at the business how do we create those opportunities for guided discovery within the organization so that we can we can kind of promote those those people that are in key positions into leaders that can then lead and so that's been a challenge but i'm sure uh andy's seen that as well you know as one of the lead challenges is how do we 
how do we get that individual view of where people are at and meet them where they are? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a good point because sometimes it, I actually, sometimes I feel like even in project management education, it's the here is the shape to try to fit in, you know, mm-hmm. like these competencies or whatever. And I imagine there's probably some soccer competencies that's really good that if someone's not just good with a, le- a right footer, you know, there's there's some other quickness, but there's something about leveraging the individual and their individual or what the culture of their company needs, you know, that maybe wouldn't translate into the culture of another company. So uh, I like that, uh, Derek, that idea of what what are the individual capabilities of that that, let's say, that kid or this employee or this potential leader and how do we kind of leverage where they are to make them better? I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, so much of, of our world with our children is through youth sports, right? Yeah. And we're teaching them teamwork and we're teaching them how to keep score measure. We're teaching them how to achieve those metrics. We're teaching them how to improve on running or kicking or fielding or catching or throwing but that mindset doesn't seem to carry forward as much as when we're adults, yeah. right? We take on, you should know how to do that already, yeah. as opposed <laughs> to helping people get better at something they're not better at. And, and certainly strength finders and other items out there teach us maybe we shouldn't be focusing on weaknesses, we should focus on strengths. But I'd say when we're working through team dynamics, it, we shouldn't ignore one to benefit the other. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was really impacted this year by, uh, or last year by, an interview with Mark Efron, who wrote his book. I think it's called something like The Eight Steps to High Performance. But he he actually had, a, I'd say, maybe a bit of a contrary view on the whole strengths teaching that he goes, not that it's wrong, but I think this is true for Derek's, the people that he's coaching, uh, certainly at work as well. But it's for project managers, what, what we say, right, you're supposed to operate within your strengths, right? Operate within mm-hmm. your strengths. But the thing is, to to go from, let's say, a program, uh, let's say a project manager to running a PMO or to running a program, <laughs> the strengths that are at our current level are probably not the strengths we need only at that next level. Absolutely. And, and, and Mark, Mark was saying over and over, he goes, there's not a whole lot of evidence that sticking just within your strengths is going to work if you want to move out of your current role. Right. And so for that, for that player who is great in a good program like Chandler, and now he wants to go at a state level or a regional level, he or she is going to have to develop some st- things outside of their strengths. And it's not going to be comfortable, right, Derek? I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you hit the nail on the head. Um, you, you have to look at each player's strengths and their weaknesses at the same time. And that's the only way you can create that path. And so for U.S. soccer, what, what really actually helped me transform what I was learning from a coaching perspective into a really a format that we could use with companies was um, we rolled out really the technical, tactical, physical, and psychosocial categories to Mm. rank each player. Mm. And so as you let that sink in, well, as a project manager, I have technical right capabilities. Like I can create a project plan. I'm great at MS project. I can meet with leaders and I can hold really effective stakeholder management techniques. I can do that. What, what, what about tactically? And so what you said, Andy, about going from a project manager to a program manager, do I have the tactical expertise to work through the politics to get to that next state where I'm managing stakeholders at a higher level? And then mm-hmm. physical, 
how do I, you know, how do I present myself to those leaders, right? And then psychosocial, very similar. Do I actually lead and do I get the feedback as being a leader that can influence? And mm-hmm. so in the soccer field, it translates a little bit differently for each position, but it really is similar. And it's kind of helped me think about how when I meet a program or project manager and I'm trying to transition work that we're doing, where do they fit into those categories and how do I help them get to the next step? That's brilliant. Yeah, and I, I had talked on my last show. You know, I was uh, one of those people. I did great on projects, and they gave me a program. Did great on programs, <laughs> they gave me the PMO. I got the PMO, and I said, what do I do now? Right? <laughs> there, I kind of, I guess I failed on that first PMO. But through that failure came growth and came opportunities where eventually I became successful running them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I love the 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 analogy of athletics and project management, because I think there's so much there that we can take from one and transfer into the other. Mm-hmm. It's been exciting for me to to get to know Derek a little bit better and hear him talk about his coaching and how that's worked. Yeah. Well, let's, let's kind of change gears a little bit here since we're, you know, we're, we're into a new year. Uh, and oftentimes that gives us an opportunity to reflect back on what we learned in 2018 or beyond. And Andy, I, I guess, what are your thoughts on what we learned in 2018 and maybe what do you see as what's coming up in 2019? Well, the, um, when, it, when I look back at last year, I, at the end of the year, I'll do a, a retrospective of sorts for the year that's just like, all right, what are the things I learned? What are some of the favorite memories and what are, you know, good decisions, plenty of bad decisions, but what were some that actually turned out good? But when I think of like lessons from the previous year, Almost always they come from a guest I had on the podcast. I don't know if you find that, Joe, that I feel like. Absolutely. The, yeah. I mean, in, in many respects, the, uh, the more we realize, the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. And so guests keep stretching us. And I was really stretched this last year by uh, James Clear, who wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And I, I, I would say that this idea of habits and the importance of them is not new. I think Charles Duhigg books, his book, The Power of Habits was life-changing, but 2018 to me was really, it really got crystallized that it's not, it's, it's not just determination and persistence, which is important, whether it's on the soccer field, whether it's with you leading this podcast or whether it's me coming up with whatever I'm doing, it's, it's, it's the habits. It's the habits. I, I, I cannot tell you, how fast I have found that willpower will sell us all out in a heartbeat and determination will wane and our interests will wane, but it's developing the habits. So this is, this is the lesson right here from James is that if you don't like your outcomes, if, if you want to change your outcomes, whether it's project outcomes, your career outcomes, whatever the outcome is, you have to have different habits. Uh, the outcomes are lagging measures of our habits. And that single lesson right there, I got to tell you, Joe and Derek, I, I think it is, tra- it is potentially transformative whether it's our career, whether it's our projects. So what are the habits that we that we need to put in place to get different outcomes? So if people don't like how certain things, you know, change or went in uh, 2018, I need to develop some new habits. I, I, I don't know. Uh, Derek, I'd have to think soccer players, some of them are just naturally, I think you had physical and maybe natural technical, but they need to develop some habits maybe on the uh, psychosocial, maybe how they think. What do you think? I agree with you 100%. I think when you really look at, you know, and, and I look back re- retrospectively at my own habits, 
I have a habit of, of being more technical and yeah. looking at the technology. And I think a lot of consulting firms and a lot of groups build their practices around the technical capabilities, right? And so really, as I kind of work through really closely with, with the clients and became a little bit, you know, closer into what makes them, them work, um, I, I found that you really have to take a step back and look at the people in the process, right? Mm-hmm. And those kind of skills, at least for me personally, the people in the process, really looking at how the people are lined up and how they're uh, interacting with each other, that's really where where it counts. As a program or project manager, if you're just checking the boxes or you're focused on just implementing something technical that the people won't be able to actually use, mm-hmm. right? That that becomes an issue. And then on the soccer field, as that translates um, to your point, if, if I continue doing the same thing over and over, right, my habit is as a forward, I'm going to keep shooting at the same spot in the goal. And I'm not going to to change that, right? And I'm not going to try to find a new way of doing it. Then you, you're going to con- continue to repeat those failures. And so um, I love that analogy to, to habits and looking at your, your habits and how do you focus your, your, you know, your, your output to, to new habits that, that, you know, align with the, the output you're trying to get. So here's, so here's the real quick thing on that habits thing that he adds to it. And I think it applies to the soccer field and Joe and the work you do as well. He says, Sometimes to develop new habits, you have to change your identity. So, so mm. think of like a, a concentric circles where identity is in the middle and then habits and then outcomes. And so the point is sometimes I, I, I saw playing basketball in high school. We had a reasonably good team. But when I played in college, all of a sudden I, I was a lot smaller fish. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden it's like it was very easy for my identity to be like, I am over my head. And I cannot tell you the number of people that I work with that feel like they're over their head, right? The whole imposter syndrome thing. And so the idea is that sometimes to change our habits, like let's say someone is the start of the new year. I want to be healthier. I want to, I'm going to lose weight, right? That's my goal. And, you know, we're almost, we're probably already past that resolution being bad, you know, but they have to change their identity. I am a healthy person. What are the habits that healthy people do? And that's going to change the outcome. So I imagine uh, soccer players need to realize, hey, you know what? You're, you're not just a, uh, you're not just a great forward. You're an athlete, or you're. A, you know, I'm trying to think that what that world might be, but thinking of of. I think Joe, maybe you see it. I see it sometimes of like, hey, listen, you you are a leader. Right. You need to think like a leader. You need to act like a leader. That's part of their identity. Now, what are the habits that leaders, and then that will change the outcomes. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I, we hear a lot of times we'll go in and and when you talk individually with folks, they say, well, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Right. And we're like, well, stop faking it and start making it. Right. Get out of that comfort zone of pretending you know what, uh, what you know and start actually increasing your knowledge skill to actually become an effective leader. Right. Um, you know, Jeremy Wood was on one of our earlier shows and he was, uh, an agile senior agile coach. He had talked about trying to eliminate best practices as a term. Right. And I thought, man, within my business, I always talk about going into consultant or clients and consulting on our best practices, but that's such a finite term, right? It's the best practice. How do you get better, right? <laughs> that's good. It's, it's the mindset of the continuous improvement beyond that, right? And again, that same as a former athlete, right? It's always, we didn't try to get to be the best. 
we were always trying to get better. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I think we lose that in our professional lives a little bit. Yeah, persona and identity are are, are major influencers to people's productivity. And mm-hmm. so, when I have a player right that has always thought of themselves as a forward, but when they try out for the state team, we really see him as a midfielder. Yeah. How do I how do I then approach that player right and and influence him to see himself in a position where he's going to be best suited to make the national team or the regional team. I see that same thing in um, when I'm with clients who are thinking about DevOps, right? How do I then get this cross-functional team to work together? I've never talked to a developer before. I've never talked to an infrastructure person before. How do you get those people to change their, and I love that, Andy, change their identity just just enough Mm-hmm. to be effective at 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 collaborating and maybe taking on things outside their comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, again, being a sports fan, Pittsburgh Steeler fan, who's a little upset right now because we didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> but how do teams prepare for their game each week, right? They go back and watch film of how the other team plays to get tendencies, or Andy, right, as you call it, habits, mm-hmm. of how they play. And you try to take them out of their habit because then they'll become un- uncomfortable. And how will they perform? So I, I think, uh, again, sticking with our sports theme a little bit here is we use a lot of this stuff in athletics all the way from youth up to professional sports. Mm-hmm. But we mm-hmm. don't incorporate it into our professional lives in the, in the boardroom or in organizations. How can we do that better? Mm-hmm. I, I just yeah. don't know how we take that to the next step. Well, you know, here, here's an example of a habit that we teach in our workshops. It, Every time you have an update meeting with your sponsor or key stakeholders, in addition to talking about status on dates, in addition to budget or anything else you'd normally cover in a regular sort of drumbeat or whatever the cadence is, whether it's weekly, whatever, in addition to those, talk about these are our top risks. So it's maybe it's the top three risks, top two risks, doesn't matter the number, but in addition to everything else, you make it a habit of saying, here are our top risks. And here what we're, here's what we're doing about them. And by making it a habit, it's not like a, oh, no, everything's going wrong. You know, it's just a <laughs> habit. We talk about risks. Risks are like breathing. And it's a habit that we can create. And then if we, that means, that means it's safe to talk about risks. It's safe to talk about maybe a mistake someone made on the soccer field. It's safe to talk about concerns we might have about other things. It's just a risk. Right? It's a habit. Another one I would suggest along with that, because that's a great idea, is when you're talking about those risks, invite an executive leader to one of those regular weekly meetings with the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we'll talk in those team meetings about the folks up above, right? We'll point the finger up and say, if they only knew what's going on in here, they'd think differently. Yeah. Well, let's change that habit in 2019 and let's actually invite them to some of those meetings to have almost a 360 view of the project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, in my experience, um, not only, you know, with calling players out, if you will, or finding like a failure ritual, trying to find out where the, you know, opportunity lies the most and in where there's friction between the groups. And, and t- kind of like Andy, what you're saying is there's this adverse reaction to saying risk or to, to <laughs> thinking about risk, right? And we all know risk mitigation is, is, is the key to being able to to remove a lot of the roadblocks that we're challenged with. The earlier we know that there's a risk, it, it won't become that issue that 
that mm-hmm. derails us. And so, yeah, that habit of being able to take on uncomfortable topics within an organization is, is, is key, I think, to development. You know, there's another lesson, Joe, you asked about a lesson that I think is related to what we've been talking about. And that is, I can't get enough right now of the writing and teaching on psychological safety. So we had Amy Edmondson on from Harvard. She's the kind of like the the person who's been the lead researcher on this. But the idea that if we foster psychological safety on a team, they're more likely to bring up those risks. And if to the degree Derek and other coaches can foster that on a team, they're more willing to speak up about something. But think of the typical, think of the typical like coach model that I feel like I grew up in. You never question the coach. Right. Right. That's for sure. Right. That that door was not open. That door, yeah, that door is not open. But to the degree we can foster psychological safety in our teams, they might, they might be willing to go, hey, uh, Derek, I'm concerned if we do that, what about this? And if, if it's done respectfully, now I think where Amy left me hungry was, it's a great idea, but what if the three of us and those listening to us are not in a psychologically safe environment? So we had uh, Jim Dietert on from uh, University of Virginia's Business School, and he had a Harvard Business Review article in the fourth quarter of 18 that really hit this well. That timing is critical. You have to, you have to develop some currency before, you know, some, some, some kid who just walks on the field and goes, hey, you know, Derek, I, uh, I'm pretty good and I got some ideas for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that person probably <laughs> has to develop some currency with you before they can speak up. But I'm telling you, between what Amy talks about and what Jim Dieter talks about, this whole idea of creating psychological safety and knowing how to speak up. I think it's, whether it's the soccer field or anywhere, right? What are you guys saying? Yeah, and I think I think when you talk about safety, you talk about that that trust. How do you build the trust? And, you know, part of the, you know, coaching uh, methodologies that, that have come out more recently are, are really around that guided discovery where you're having a conversation, even in the moment, around options and opportunities. And you're making that group feel safe and learn from each other. Um, the group dynamic, to your point, I think, Andy, the group dynamic, creating groups that can that can express themselves freely and that trust each other, that's something, you know, I, I'll give you an example. One of, one of the companies that, that uh, uh, I was working with was really having some friction between six senior leaders. And so how do, how do I not take each senior leader, right, alone by themselves and have them just work in isolation, which is what they were used to? But how, how do I create trust with each one of them to be able to present to each other in an open forum in front of their boss? Mm-hmm. You know, in a summit format where there's 30, 60, 90 day action items that have to be collaborated on within, within, um, within that session. And so that was a challenge. And I think, um, you know, there's no perfect answer for each organization, but it's, it's looking at the, the current structure and the format and saying, how can I create those safe spaces? You know, maybe it is, you know, talking with them one off and kind of coaching them on, Hey, these are the things that are important that I see. These are the Mm -hmm. things you should be presenting and then allowing them to present to the groups and then providing that feedback loop. Um, I think the feedback loops really are the ones, are the things that as a consultant or as a project manager, if you can be that hub for the, for the feedback loops on, hey, am I really doing it? 
am I still faking or am I really doing it right, the right way? I think those have been, you know, some of the areas that have been most effective and, and most challenging for me is to create those those feedback loops within the organizations. So we we took kind of a, a retrospective view of 2018, which gives us right a, a bump into the future, as we talked about. Um, but what's kind of our view for 2019? When Dr. Kersner was on a few episodes back, he had talked about right success on a project is now defined by are we providing value? Right, it's about the future of providing value for what we do compared to. When project management started out, it was, did you check the box? Did you get the deliverables done? Is the risk register in place? We've, we were evolving, right? So what's, what's next, Andy? Where, where do you see we're headed for 2019 and beyond? Well, for a guy who started his business two weeks before 9-11, I don't know if you want to trust me. <laughs> right. But you're still around. You're doing <laughs> yeah. well, right? <laughs> but uh, so I, I think I heard it from the Freakonomics podcast years ago that whenever we try to predict what we basically say is, or what we think is, it'll be the same, only more. <laughs> right? So that's our prediction. So if that's the case, I think it's fair to say, remember the day when uh, it was pretty much just MS Project? And, you know, maybe a couple more, but that was pretty much it. But in recent years, it's just been a virtual smorgasbord, a huge proliferation. I don't think there's any reason to think that's going to slow down. Yeah. Um, automation is something that every organization, in fact, if everyone listening to us isn't thinking about how are they career-wise trying to set themselves up so they're not going to be automated, they need to be thinking about that, right? So there'll be more automation. But because of that, I think... I honestly don't think this is a 2019 thing. I think this has been something that's been around for decades, but it more need for what Derek, I thought really beautifully said, not just the technical, but also the psychosocial or let's go with soft skills because it's, it's hard to get a robot to influence a scene, a, a sponsor to show up to the meeting. It's, it's hard to, uh, to, uh, to get a tool to automate motivation. And so this, this need for soft skills, it's, it's why on, on, um, on our podcast, uh, 90% of the episodes are on the leadership leg of the triangle, the, the talent triangle, because it's that stuff that makes it hard. You know, no one, how many times have you ever heard a project manager say, my success is because I've learned how to calculate critical path by hand. Like nobody, right? Maybe That's they right. passed the BMP because they learned how to do that, but it, it, it's this soft skill. So I, I think just more important than ever. And if I had, so I'm going to make a, just one prediction and I really, really hope it's not true. I really, I don't want it to be true. I don't think it'd be a 2019 thing, but I've, I've been personally kind of just in awe of this whole thing of Sears struggling because if there's ever been a company that was Amazon decades ago, it was Sears. That catalog to our country was what Amazon is to the world in many respects now. And they're they're just they're they're just trying to stay alive and barely with a pulse. And so today in project management, PMI is kind of that. It's it's a guiding organization. You can love them, you can hate them, but their certifications, their their guidance, their PMBOK guide, their standards, their conferences, you know, they lead the way. But you know what? That's GE a- is struggling. Sears is struggling. There will be a day when Amazon screws up and they'll, whether it's uh, security, whether it's uh, whatever. And there's, there's a day if PMI is not careful 
they will screw up. And every time they step into doing training, they're getting closer to ticking off people that are trying to work within their ecosystem. If they have uh, some sort of major, if they have some sort of major falling out, whether it's fraud or something like that, I don't, I have no awareness that, that sort of thing is happening. But my my point is, is that is something that could be disruptive to our industry. Of wait, wait, wait. Well, what what is our standard now? You know, what is what is the flag bear? So. I don't expect to be 2019. I think in the 1940s, Sears didn't expect to be where they are now. And I think Amazon thinks they're top of the hill. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, how's, great how's insight. That provocative? Yeah. I mean, PM headed newsline, newsflash, right? PMI headed for crash. Um, <laughs> but to your point, right, there's a leadership change coming here right now in PMI. Who knows where that's going to go? I have family that, that work at Sears, and the interesting dynamic is. There are several segments within Sears that are highly profitable. Mm -hmm. But Sears as an organization is obviously failing miserably. Within projects, we can have components of the project that are being successful, but the project as a whole could be failing or the program could be failing due to projects failing, right? Again, so many different analogies we could take from that. Derek, what's your thoughts of what you're yeah. from a slalom perspective, right? What are you guys forecasting? Well, I, I think, you know, not just from a slalom perspective, but I think when you take a step back and you look at, you know, what's happened in the past and the GEs and the, you know, larger organizations and even in my experience with an enterprise organization with multiple products is, has there been a really evaluation of, of what is valuable, Right. What what is the valuable thing that we need to keep our eyes on so that we stay ahead of the game? And where do we then cut? Right. Cut things that we need to just go ahead and sunset. Right. Are we quick enough? Right. And and like like Joe was mentioning with Sears, are we quick enough to ride the leaders because we know the value Mm -hmm. and to cut the other pieces out that don't make sense? And I think. The only way a large organization can do that is back to Andy, what you said, which was, is to really look at the people, right? Look at the soft skills and the ability for those people to evaluate value at the lowest levels, even at the, at the person that's taking the phone calls, right? From the patients or the clients or whoever it is downstream that is the customer, right? Are we valuing our services and products, right? All the way down throughout the organization. And does that make sense to everyone all the way through? And I think that's the, maybe from a project or program management perspective, that's really a soft skill getting to the value all the way from the person that's taking the phone calls to the CEO. Are you able to, right, tell that value story? Mm -hmm. That's good. I'm wondering, you know, so I'm sitting here reflecting on this conversation. If if I'm someone considering getting into project management, I'm thinking, wow, this is an awesome discussion to be listening to, right? <laughs> what? How do you get into a career or if you're starting out your career, Andy, what are your thoughts on why project management is actually a good career choice, right? Oh, man, that, I, I'm glad you asked that because, uh, Joe, I well, I, I think your jump from project management to PMO was kind of like the accidental PMO leader, the way you kind of described it before. Yeah. And certainly mine was the accidental project manager from being a decent developer to, well, <laughs> there's an opening, clearly. 
you know, he must be a good project manager. Maybe Derek, did, did you have some of that as well? Yeah, no, same thing. I mean, it was, hey, you're a great BA. You can analyze things. You don't even have a degree yet, but you're, <laughs> you're running, um, you know, an, an enterprise application with six developers. So why not become a project manager? Why not launch that globally? Um, yeah. yeah, it happens so quickly. Yeah, I, I think one of the, well, there's all kinds of good reasons to do what we do or this industry, but one of my favorites is just, we get to deliver stuff. I mean, I, I, we all know people that their day is basically a groundhog day. It's what they did yesterday and what we did yesterday and the day before. I, I think I'm thankful that there are rental car shuttle drivers, but that would, I would explode, you know, just do the terminal and lot terminal. And, and so we get to deliver stuff. We don't get to just talk about, we get to deliver and we get to know the business cross-functionally. So it's not just kind of like a one silo and, and not everybody, but a lot of times projects go cross-functional increasingly. And so you get to know the business, you get to know industries, you, you, you get to, uh, it's a constant learning process. My dad was a bricklayer. And I think a lot of people would say bricklayers, I mean, that, that must be kind of a boring job, right? Just climbing scaffolding, just laying a brick after brick. But he kind of looked at it as projects, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is an interesting fireplace. This is different than what we did before. The days had some similarity for sure, but there was something different and you can see things get created and, and so, um, and there's, I think, the practical standpoint that a lot of organizations, they may outsource a lot of things and sometimes they outsource project management, but a lot of times they're like, we want person running point badged us <laughs> and we'll use other people outside to do some of those other things. So from a career perspective, I think there's a number of reasons why this is a good route. Yeah. And I think many people are actually project managers in their, in their roles. And <laughs> even if they're not deemed a project manager, it may be looking at the project management as a profession and some of the skills and some of the learning materials within project and program management will even help you if you're, you know, graphic designer or if you're, you know, whatever you might be doing. So it really, it lends itself just the, the academic side of it, it lends itself to where people are at a lot of times in their life today. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I would bet I think it's as high as 75% of the people that show up for our workshops are not like the, the word project is not in their title and it could be anything from administrative assistant to all kinds of different things. But I, I think that's a great point, Derek, that uh, in many respects, you could argue that a soccer coach is a project manager. Right? Uh, Joe, it's a project to do your podcast, right? It's uh, it, I mean, it, in, in, in many respects, we're all project managers. That's a really good point, Derek. Well, we all, taken into our personal life, right? If we just coming off New Year's, right? Who here had a New Year's party? You had a a defined product with a specific beginning and end that was going to produce a result, right? I mean, it was a project. Uh, Now, when people take that into the professional life and start thinking they can lead a multi-million dollar endeavor, might be a stretch. But yeah, I'm with you guys, right? I mean, projects are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we have people leading those without the title attached and that's okay let's help get them some of the skills to help them be productive and then also let's go back to the organization and point that out so that we can get organized and help the organization succeed right so your question is really good like why why consider this as a path because you're on that path anyway, right? whether you know or not. So then the question is, do you want to do it professionally with that sort of title or that direction or family of titles? But man, anybody listening to us that 
is, is hasn't spent some time getting to know what, just like what you said, Joe, like understanding success criteria and stakeholders and stuff like that, man, this is an area to get to know because whether, like you said, at home or at work, we're going to use these skills. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, taking that one step further, I mean, Derek, obviously you've evolved from project manager now into consultant where you're going in to help organizations with this. What does that next step look like, right? How do you, how do you, for the more experienced PM now, how do you take the next step? Yeah, it's, and, and that's really what's interesting about the profession is that, you know, even within a larger organization, I was exposed to so many different projects across industry that now becoming a consultant with that background allows me to take a, a real look at where that company is at today, right? I know where they may want to go, but where they're at today and to take a more of a constructive look at how we get to where they want to be. What's realistic, right? What's realistic? What can we do with the people, processes, and technology that you have today? Utilize it, cut the things that we don't need, and and really look towards the future. So I think when you look at, you know, a project manager who's also a consultant, you you really play that fine line between utilizing your consultancy's best practices, if you will, or using your consultancy's tools and technology, your own experience, and then your experience. And, and I love this, Andy, when you said living in the day, right? Today. Today, mm-hmm. when you step in, mm-hmm. how do you help that client where they are today? Right. And a lot of times their days change, especially at the higher level every day and every week, they're challenged with something new. So I think that's where when you look at a project from start to finish and you have divine tasks and you're learning, you know, how to get along with different stakeholders, when you become a consultant, you really have to take a day to day look um, and adjust as necessary. Andy, I'm sure you see some of that as well, right? Going through your different engagements. Heck, you've been, I, I went to like every continent except Antarctica. You've led, <laughs> you've led some training sessions and, and done work through your organization. Is there a global difference from what wow. you see compared to the U.S.? It's interesting. I mean, you know, the whole phrase of uh, culture eat strategy for lunch every day. I mean, for sure, culture creates nuances and, and influence on on all the things. But I got to tell you, I, whether it was a, a group in Kenya or Eastern Europe or Australia, I'm, I'm telling you, just about every place, interestingly enough, when you, when you really peel it back, the problems were uh, people-related. Like, how do I get this stakeholder to do this? Uh, lack of clarity. Like, what is success? We don't know, or they keep changing their mind. I mean, there, there are so many... Uh, you know, uh, uh, un- unwillingness to see risks, and so it, it is. It is different. Uh, it, it presents itself, I think, differently in the different cultures at times or different industries. But when you really get to the core, a lot of it is the same thing that we all struggle with, and that's what I love about project management because it really addresses. I mean, stakeholder management covers a lot of bases, and the leadership triangle side of the triangle it covers a lot of things that truly, truly help us deliver. So yeah, unquestionably, I see that almost irrespective of industry, those core things. And I think it's, again, there's a tie here in the show today about people and athletics, right? And oftentimes, so baseball is my big sport. Mm. 
and I you listen to broadcasts and they'll say, man, that everybody talks about that guy. When he finishes playing career, he's going to be a great manager. <laughs> and and usually it's the catcher, right? And, that's the, and that was me. I was I was a catcher, mm-hmm. and I I had a view of the whole field, right? It's, it's kind of where we as people gravitate to positions in sports. Yeah. Then goes into a career and in a profession. And that project manager is kind of that coach on the field that's helping the organizations get through and deliver just like, uh, you know, a quarterback maybe on the, a football team, a center or a point guard rather on a basketball team, catcher on a baseball team. Uh, soccer are not as familiar with Derek. Sorry. Yeah. It's the keeper. Yeah. It's the keeper. It's the, yeah. The keeper is like the catcher is very into positioning, right? And you can see the whole field. I was a number nine. So I was a forward. And a forward is the person that just goes to the goal, irrespective of anyone else around them. So my identity as a forward is, is the hunter, is the, I get the ball and I go to goal. Well, I had to create other attributes for myself in order to become a successful manager. Because as a forward, you're not managing much other than the production of goals. That's mm. it. Yeah. So it is interesting, the analogy to sports and the fact that you have to adapt and change in order to really become more cross-functional over time. I, I think I'm sensing uh, maybe a book idea or something for 2019, some research of youth athletics mm-hmm. and growth up through that to see how those people pursued professional careers and what they were, mm-hmm. right? Aligning where they played or how they played in, in those sports and what did they become post uh, their career. Mm-hmm. interesting topics that's why i love this show you never know where you're going to get where the roads are going to go and who you're going to talk to mm-hmm. so it's fantastic speaking of that i mean andy you've been doing this podcast thing for a while now right yeah. you're coming up on a decade yeah. talk a little bit about the people and projects podcast and and what you've learned and how that's grown and and everything mm-hmm. that you want to share about that well, you know, it was uh, in 2009, I was interviewed by a guy who had a podcast. And at, when we got done, I just asked him, I said, so how does this actually work? You know, like, and so he was very generous with his time. And, and I thought, well, I'm kind of a geek at heart. I think I could try that. And I think episode one, it was maybe my mom and dad who listened. I don't know. <laughs> and probably not. And, uh, but over the course of time, the, what I didn't realize at the time was what a learning journey it would be. And I can, I can definitively say, Joe, that the best content that I deliver in a workshop or in a keynote comes from something that I learned over the currently 241 episodes. It's something from the authors because it's like a forcing function. I, I have to read the book. I have to put questions together to assimilate the information. And so I would say over time, that learning it was not necessarily appreciated up front of how much that'd be the reason for doing it, but that's the case. I feel like I'm learning right along <laughs> with the people that are listening. And the, from a change perspective, most of our most of our episodes are long form audio, so that would be 35 to 55 minutes. And you know, in today's culture, and it's a, it's something that you've got to wrestle with as well. Is like how if somebody's got a long commute, no problem. If somebody is really into the topic, no problem. But a lot of people are, are pretty much used to give me a three minute or give me a five minute something. And the problem with that sort of 
mindset is we only we don't we don't get deep on anything. And so that's what I love about your programs. It allows us to get deeper on things. So what I'm doing is combining the long form with three to four minute videos periodically as well. And so it's this is the key idea and thought trying to foster a discussion based on that. So um, I would anticipate that'll probably continue. The long form, which is great for PDUs and great for going deeper in a subject, but also the short form of, hey, let's hit this topic and then have a discussion about it. And, and you know, taking that into the consulting space, right? So obviously, Andy's been very successful on the podcasting side of it. Derek, have you seen an evolution of consulting now that you've been in that for a while? Is Is there something how we used to do consulting that now has changed? Well, yeah, I think that's a really good question. The When I look at consulting now, uh, a lot of companies are looking for a company that's not dictating a certain strategy. It's, it's a company that's going to come in and help provide that strategy overall. Um, I think when we look at technology, a lot of companies are looking at technology and saying, hey, how can we value the implementation of this, this technology into our organization? Can you help us strategize on how to do that? Whereas I think in the past, a lot of companies said, hey, we have the knowledge, we understand the industry, we're going to go ahead and tell the consultant what to do and the consultant's going to just perform a task. So I think the evolution, you know, over the next, I'd say, you know, three to five years is going to really be around consultant organizations that can come and meet the customer where they're at, be close, be local, be personable, you know, in terms of being there on the day to day. And I think that's a little bit of a different strategy. We're seeing, you know, definitely more of a smart shore movement. So, you know, part of, of, of slalom's services that we provide are, are build centers, um, used to be a delivery network, but we provide, you know, build centers that are local and regional. And so what that allows us to do is provide development resources, right, to some of the acceleration projects that we discover within some of our clients. And it really has, I think, changed some of the way that organizations now see you know, their CapEx versus their OpEx and saying, okay, now how do I start to mirror that within my own organization? And so consulting firms are not only coming in and saying, hey, we can help you with the strategy, but we can help you evolve into more of a technology company yourselves. Come in, help you, and then and then leave and leave you in a better place than where you were before. Yeah, I think that both Andy and Derek, right, you both just talked about is evolution. It's the, the growth, whether it's the podcast and how that's changed or a consulting business and how that's changed. I guess maybe change isn't the right word there. Evolution, perhaps, is, is a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's interesting, right? Belinda Goodrich was on a few episodes back talking about uh, the kick-ass project manager. Mm-hmm. And if we thought about that, in the 1970s or 1980s, it would look so much different than it is today, right? And, and we as a profession have to continue to evolve to stay relevant. Yeah. And if we don't, uh, I think we miss out. And Andy, I think shows like yours help us stay relevant because of the content you bring to us. And, and Derek, certainly the work that Slalom and yourself are doing help us stay relevant because you're bringing those ideas and thoughts as a thought leader into the industry and the organizations that you serve. 
So I think you're both contributing, and I, I thank you so much for doing that as leaders within this industry so much. You know, one of my uh, favorite quotes related to what you just said, Joe, is from a guy named Eric Hoffer. And he said that uh, I've seen a couple different versions of it. So, you know, this is the version that I know that it's the learners who inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. And the reason I love that is I can tell you for the longest time, let's take agile. I was just like, you know what? Everybody I know doing Agile just thinks they're doing it because they want to be the cool kid. You know, they're doing it because it's trendy. They're doing it. And uh, I, you don't have to look too far to see some bad Agile stories. And so of, because of the way they did the transformation. But I use that as an excuse to not learn. What I like about this quote, that it's the learners who inherit the earth, that whether it's Agile, whether it's soft skills, whether it's, uh, well, maybe more formal PM training to learn, whether it's psychological safety, whether it's habits, it, it is the learners who inherit the earth because there's no question. We One thing that we can say for sure about 2019, it's going to end with some things that we never anticipated. <laughs> but yeah. maybe, maybe it's back to the habits that if we develop the habit of learning, you know, like what what is a way, like listening to Joe's show, right? Just make it a habit of during commute time, just listen to the show. And by doing that, it's, you're going to be exposed to ideas. But it's the learners who inherit the earth. Because we, if we don't change, it, it will be a world that no longer exists. Perfectly equipped. And I think both of you not only are, <laughs> what's, what's really interesting about what you said, Andy, is that you're, you're providing right a path for people to learn. And then I think as you know, I listened to a number of your of podcasts, Joe, you know, in preparation leading up to this. And I learned a lot, but I also felt like I could teach some of that content and information, teach or coach, right? Mm -hmm. That, that kind of content and information. So it becomes that continuous improvement, that continuous evolution, if you will, of ideas and thoughts. You learn, you coach, you teach, and you continue to move forward. But I, I love that, Andy, that, that analogy that you just made around learning and continuous learning, I think. Is, is so valid to anyone who wants to be in, in any profession over the next couple of years as things change, you know, yeah. every three months. <laughs> yeah. And so forcing ourselves, you know, Joe, what, what do you do to, to stay, you know, to force yourself to learn? You know, what do you, what do you do? What are your habits? I'd, Cause I could benefit from that too. Well, I think the, there's two that always come to mind. One you mentioned, right, is by having guests come on, it's forcing me to read the material that they're sending me uh, uh, to prepare yeah. for the show. And it's opened my mind. I actually received an email over the break from a, a gentleman who wanted to come on the show with a contrarian view as to what I propose on the show oh. and have a series, almost an ongoing series of debating his view versus mine. Uh. And my initial reaction was defensive. And I said, well, wait a second, why am I being defensive in my life? I'm open to diversity and diversity of thought. I should ask for his book, mm -hmm. read and understand his perspective. Yeah. So learning to me is continuous and, and this show prompts that. The other are through my clients, mm -hmm. right? As soon as the moment you think you have the solution for everybody's problem is the moment you realize you're failing, right? So each client that we go into Sure, there are similarities and they're all project and PMO related, but we learn their unique challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, it's it's the clients and it's the guests are, are my two main drivers. 
And the third reality is I've got four kids, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm in a constant state of learning from my children as to what I don't know is going on in the world. Yep, well said. And your, and your willingness to do it. I, I, I run my business using agile principles now because of I have to learn this stuff. And I think with all of us, all three of us, right? It's if we, if we're willing to say, whatever your bias is, I want to learn around it. I want to learn more. It's going to help us. Yeah so much i appreciate that and 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 i guess you know the other it, we are coming up on our hour i mean uh time flies when you're having fun i say that almost every episode yeah. but andy and derek i want to thank you so much for being on the show today uh and i want to give you a chance to let our listeners learn a little bit more how they can get in touch with you after the show and andy we'll, we'll start with you any parting words for the listeners and how they can be in touch with you you know the Two easiest ways to stay in touch would be to connect on LinkedIn. So uh, now if you search for the name Andy Kaufman, some people will find a dead comedian. He's, not, he's actually not on LinkedIn, but he's everywhere else. <laughs> but but uh, that's the best way to connect there because uh, I, I love to stay involved and interactive with people there. And on whether it's our website, peopleandprojectspodcast.com or just any podcast app, just type in People and Projects Podcast. They can find it there. That would be the best way to stay in touch. I'm regularly speaking at PMI chapters and inside companies to do project management leadership training. But a great way to start is just interacting in LinkedIn and through the podcast. All right. Thanks so much, Andy. And, and I will comment that Andy on LinkedIn is extremely active and very gracious to those that he connects with. Uh, and is very open with his um, content management and his giving back to those on LinkedIn. Uh, so it's it's great to be connected with him, and you'll see all that he can share out there on LinkedIn. So thank you so much, Andy. And Derek, how about you? How can folks stay in touch with you? And if they want to learn more about you, how can they be in touch with you? Absolutely. So it's really the same thing, uh, LinkedIn, um, active on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and that's really the probably the best place to get me. Um, email is, you know, Derek.Brownell at slalom.com. You can reach me there as well. But definitely through LinkedIn, I think, you know, we all see that as a platform that can really help, uh, you know, allow us to connect. And so I, I welcome anyone who would love to connect via via LinkedIn and kind of go through this journey of 2019 together. Again, thanks so much, both of you, for being on. I want to wish everybody who is listening a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2019. A reminder that we are live the first and third Thursday each month. Our next show will be on the 17th of January. Also a reminder that we do record these shows and they are available as a podcast. You can listen to Project Management Office Hours on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your platform of choice is. We're available on all of those. Also, a final thank you to our sponsor, the PMO Squad. Deploy the squad for a 90-day PMO build-out or improvement using their proprietary PMO approach, Purpose, Measure, Optimize. That's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Mm-hmm.